0: Uh, this week, you would have seen many of you this report, the uh, wi- uh, World Wildlife Fund report, that said that mass wildlife loss is being caused by human consum- consumption. And it forecasts that over the uh, next uh, 20 years, we would use, lose 60% of the diversity that we currently have in the animal kingdom, which is, of course, a ca- catastrophe for humanity. So even though perhaps some people would choose not to care about diversity and wildlife, for humanity, this is a disaster. It's an end, basically. We could be the last generation unless we sort out this biodiversity uh, issue. Uh, Yesterday morning, I woke up and uh, was flicking through Twitter as I do, what a terrible habit that is. And um, there was just a little... A friend of mine had just posted a film, a tiny 45-second film. I was going to show it, but we don't have time. And it's simply um, a film of some, a lion asleep on a plane in Africa. And as the lion um, wakes up, it's shot with a high-velocity rifle from a quarter of a mile away. And then... Uh, the, um, the, the camera is with the guy that shoots this lion dead and he slaps his friend and he says that's another trophy for the cabinet an extraordinary uh, thing then there's this issue I'm not asking you to look at the detail of this but this is about the rise uh, in sea level And the rise that's taken place since the 1970s and where we've got to now, this was um, just a few years ago, and uh, the the, um, variation in those colours, that's the minimum and maximum sea level rise that we can expect. Maximum, it would be for 80 centimetres by the end of this century uh, around the world. Minimum is expected to be 20 centimetres. That in itself will wipe out most of London. This won't be called Waterloo anymore. It will be called Waterside or Underwater. (laughs) That's the reality. We have to do something because the ice caps are melting, as you know, faster than ever. And here's something published by uh, the BBC. Again, I want to do this really quickly. So the more yellow a country, um, the less acreage it takes to feed one person on it. The darker the country, the more acreage it takes. So you see for most of Africa, it takes just 1.7 acres uh, uh, hectare to feed a person for a year. But then you look to Australia and you look up into Russia, etc., etc., and you'll see that it takes five to seven acres, and then to America, which is deeply purple, seven hectares per person. Britain is orange. We have to do something about all of this. Um, the BBC asked uh, a rapper called Hezron Springer, I don't know if you know Hesron uh, Springer, if you've uh, listened to his music or listened to him on the radio at all, but they asked Hezron to find out he loves chicken. He loves fried chicken. And uh, so they made this fantastic documentary which you can watch online and I just edited together the front of the show, just one minute and two minutes at the end of the show. So uh, we'd like you to uh, listen and watch this now. Whoops.
1: Is the sound I up? have fried chicken. Get this three times a day. The juices are flowing from this thing, like the River Thames. Like. I'm expecting maybe some big machine with a big knife just going doof, 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 doof to the show. So here we are at the beginning again where this all started and i'm looking at this leg when i first started this 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 documentary and i first started this journey to see how this stuff is made i want to see like a small farm and it's going to be like hey 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 all fun all fun and now i know where it's come from through this process i've actually started to to eat less meat and to most of you like right now I don't really want to eat this, but look at this, it's like... (laughs) Listen, this chicken shop here in Hereford, it's amazing, but... (laughs) Oh my god, oh no, oh no, oh no, oh no, I just had a bite of the chicken. And that same smell that I that I smell in, in the in slaughterhouse, I just tasted it in the chicken. I went to the inside bit, and that kind of stench after the chickens are being killed, with the blood and stuff, I just tasted it in the chicken. It, it, that, 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 that. Oh my God, man! I can't even speak properly. That just made it real, man. I just tasted the. the the smell of the slaughterhouse in the chicken. What the hell do I get myself into by by doing this documentary, man? Ah. That's disgusting, man. It's not that. Oh, I guess this is the big problem that we have. It's not that it's, it's, this, it's disgusting connecting the two places, but the fried chicken tastes good at the same time, and I'm sure that's a problem that a lot of people have. But I'm tasting, I'm tasting how it's made, how it's killed. Okay,
0: I'm done, I'm done, I'm done. And that was the end of the documentary. Um, he spent a week researching conditions in uh, farms that raise chicken uh, in this country. I'd like to read to you these words written thousands of years ago by King David, a psalm. Praise the Lord, my soul. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate bring forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There are there the birds make their nest, the stalk has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats. The crags, the refuge of the Hydrax I will sing to the Lord all of my life I will praise I will sing praise to my God as long as I live may my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord praise the Lord my soul praise the Lord we have this extraordinary planet to be grateful for but it's our responsibility to steward it well. And it's our responsibility to see that we're part of the biosphere, part of creation. Uh, I've asked Daryl and Abby to be involved this morning from different perspectives. Daryl, tell us about why you became involved in this huge issue that we've just seen Hedron talk about there.
2: Um, well, I think we all start off with an interest in animals as a um, as children, it's something that uh, uh, I, I saw uh, you were presenting a Bible to Ari and it had pictures of animals on it. And it's the sort of thing um, uh, which is always talked about in Sunday schools and things like that. So everyone's caught up with this natural interest and wonder of creation as a child. But I think as we grow up and as we, um, as we become adults, there's like this unspoken assumption that we're meant to leave those things behind... And move on to adult topics, discipleship, evangelism, getting people into churches, um, and that. And for me, when I was uh, came to London, uh, I, I, I went along with that. I assumed that you know that's what that's what Christians do. My my Christian Union, my church, they were talking about other issues. They weren't talking about animals, um, but nonetheless. Um, I, st- I was one day given a book on, called Animal Theology. And that was a book that really s- changed my life because I, I read that and then I read another one and I read another one and I read another one. And I found, you know what, actually, uh, there are strong faith-based reasons to care about animals. This is not something to be relegated to, to Sunday school and then left behind and grow out of. This is something to grow into. And, and it's uh, impressive. And now, now animal you're a vegan. Thing. And now I'm a vegan.
0: What's life like as a vegan?
2: <laughs> very surprised to get a round of applause. <laughs> Normally, because I, I, yeah, a lot of you have had these uh, leaflets uh, from Sarks. That's a charity I began. Sometimes I speak to faith audiences. Sometimes I speak to secular audiences. And when I speak to a secular audience, they think I'm going to bash them with a Bible. So we all look very... When I speak to a faith audience, they think I'm going to bash them with tofu. So I just like, if I had a Bible made of tofu, it would make my life easier. But, but, but nonetheless, nonetheless, I think when people actually start getting involved and get interested, they actually think, oh, this is actually quite an interesting topic, which is really relevant to me. And, uh, and, and pressing as a person of faith. Hmm.
0: So uh, last night, you should know, uh, Daryl put together uh, a vegan uh, a cafe. We did that through, and um, it was packed out, wasn't it? Absolutely packed. People had traveled from miles and miles for this evening of entertainment, uh, 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 speaking. I was there. I listened to a farmer who had uh, become convinced that he couldn't send his herd to slaughter, and at great cost to him, uh, he created the, he uh, created. Uh, a new opportunity for them. Um, you've given us this uh, brochure, Daryl. Um, what's it trying to tell us? Um, it's trying to put forward the idea, um, the
2: idea that that animals are a faith issue. So it's often, I mean, very few people... I've never met a Christian who doesn't like an animal. Most people, I'm sure, here, their eyes, your eyes will all light up if I were to show you a, a puppy with a waggy tail... Um, but, but nonetheless, when I speak to a lot of Christians, they tend to think of animal issues as, as something they like, but it's not necessarily they instinctively connect with their faith. And so what I try to do through Sark's and through this leaflet is to try and say, no, actually there's strong reasons to, uh, to, to take this issue seriously, biblical reasons. And it's also it's a very strong part of Christian heritage a bit of a forgotten area, but, it's, uh, but there's a so much, um, so many ways in which Christians have responded to
0: what's in the Bible um, and have taken action for animals. So um, I, I know that uh, William Wilberforce, of course, whom we all celebrate because he battled for freedom uh, for slaves for such a long time. He was also one of those who worked uh, behind the scenes to set up the RSPCA, wasn't he? He's, commitment to, uh, to um, biodiversity and to animal life, which he recognized we all are, was as great as his commitment to freeing the slaves. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's interesting that he, uh, Wilberforce started
2: what was to become the RSPCA, and out of that became the NSPCC. So it was actually the animals came first and then the NSPCC. And that actually strikingly reflects creation. Story, because actually the animals are created before humans. And for the early Christians, this actually puzzled them. They were thought, ooh, why, why are the animals created um, first before the humans? So that's quite interesting. And um, you, know, you mentioned Wilberforce as someone who, um, who was a great social campaigner. He had this tremendous heart for, for, for people, for injustice. But he was nonetheless, he, he realized that restricting your compassion, restricting your uh, who is included within uh, uh, God's embrace. That's a bad way of viewing compassion. So he had, uh, obviously, a tremendous amount of time and energy for uh, people, but he didn't forget the animals. And this is the same of of so many great Christian leaders. John Wesley, he was going out doing extraordinary things for the poor, but he preached sermons about how to... um, about uh, about animals, you know, he uh, he was one of the first vegetarians, but he was before uh, before the, the coin was the name was even um, coined. The uh, and just, uh, and William Booth, uh, he was the founder of a Salvation Army, did this um, extraordinary social outreach. But once again, had this tremendous outreach. For and Hezron
0: uh, Springer, the uh, rapper there, you know, I don't know if you caught it at the beginning of the program. It's worth watching that program. Uh, if you can get it, he starts off. He, he says that he eats fried chicken, uh, fried chicken and chips, sometimes three times a day. Probably not the greatest uh, choice in the world itself, but he loves chicken. And uh, that's why the BBC chose him just to go find out how that chicken arrived in the box. And you see the result in the end. He, can't, he says the chicken actually smells of the smells of the slaughterhouse. As you reflect on what you've just uh, seen Hezron say, what do you make of that? It, it is quite striking.
2: I mean, the first thing that c- comes to mind is, is Jesus. I mean, animal imagery is so often associated with Jesus. We think of him, we're singing about him, talking about him as the Lamb of God. Um, he's often referred to as the Lion of Judah, the spirit descends down on him like a dove, all these sort of things. But he also, what's often forgotten, when he beholds um, Jerusalem, he says, how I long to gather you as a mother hen gathers her, her chicks. So he uses the imagery of these creatures to describe divine love. That's really striking. And once again, um, when he talks very famously about, um, about models of Christian discipleship, he uses lilies and sparrows, birds, as models of Christian discipleship. And he says, not a single one of these falls outside the love of the Father. Not a single one falls outside of the love of the Father. And that, those words would ring in our ears when we see images like that.
0: It's funny, isn't it, how we either keep animals, we love our pets, keep them or eat them. It's a strange thing that we do. Abby, uh, you've been sat uh, there uh, listening to all this. Abigail's uh, my daughter, actually. But uh, more importantly... Well, no, not more importantly. (laughs) No, take that back. (laughs) That's a cruel comment. (laughs) I was going to say, more importantly, but not more importantly, that you're a local GP. Uh, Tell us about what you do, where you work.
3: Um, I work at Princess Street Group Practice, which is just up the road um, in Elephant and Castle.
0: And um, you're not a vegan.
3: I'm not a vegan.
0: But tell us about um, so. the way you preferred wheat.
3: I'm not a vegetarian or a vegan. I've, I've got celiac disease, so I can't eat any um, gluten, and I can't eat any lactose. So if I then said I was a vegetarian or a vegan, I think I'd have no friends and never be invited anywhere for dinner. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't choose to eat. Um, I never cook meat. I never buy meat. Um, so, I, yeah, I choose not to eat animal products, if I can. And wh-
0: why is that, then?
3: Um, well, I think, actually, a lot of it is to do with um, the environmental reasons. But, actually, if I, as a GP, as a doctor, I guess I think, think about the medical reasons. And, actually, there isn't a medical base. It's not evidence-based medicine to say to be a vegan or a vegetarian, um, or to say that a vegan be- diet is better for you than a vegetarian, or a vegetarian is better than a meat-containing diet. And, actually, if you're a vegan you're restricting your diet quite heavily, and so actually you're at risk of um, malnourishment, you have to take supplements. You know, is it, it's quite a restrictive diet. But having said that, I think there are real health benefits from, um, from reducing the amount of animal products that you consume. i can give three quick examples. Yeah. Um, so, one is that we all know. These are really examples that you all know, I'm sure. But th- so, energy-dense diets, so high-sugary, high-fat diets, um, lead to things like diabetes, stroke. Um, heart attacks, kidney disease, all kinds of things, um, as well as obesity. And energy-dense foods typically are animal-based f- foods like meat and dairy produce. So that's, that's a risk and of all of those illnesses, as well as obesity, which is an independent risk for things like cancer and all kinds of problems. The other thing is processed meat. So the World Health Organization actually put processed meat they actually label it as a carcinogenic. So it's in the same category as asbestos. It's in the same category as tobacco. But I was looking at my little boy's um, uh, you know, lunchtime menu for his school, and he can have th- processed meat three times in a week for his lunch, at, you know, aside from any other opportunities that he could have it. So it's, we eat processed meat, sausages, um, beef burgers, salami, um, ham we think of it as inconspicuous but actually it's, it is a carcinogenic we know that it's really not very good for us and red meat equally is energy dense so again it contributes to all of those illnesses we spoke about before but also we know that that probably causes cancer and actually there's no safe level to eat that so they're all foods that animal products that we know aren't good for us and that aren't part of a wouldn't be part of a healthy diet
0: so you're saying that it's, it's bad for us it's also bad for the planet
3: yeah, yeah, for all of those.
0: Mm. Uh, Daryl, your response to that? Um, yeah, there's a de-
2: definitely uh, a lot of helpful stuff that Abby said. I would disagree with saying that I don't think it's restrictive. And the, the uh, British Dietetics Association, the uh, American Academy of Nutrition Dietetics, they're the two foremost authorities in the world, Say that a, comp- a well-balanced, uh, properly planned diet, and of course all diets should be properly planned, um... That, that has um, a, a, a vegan diet is able to provide everything that you need at every stage of your life, from the young babies to nursing mothers, pregnant mothers, old age. So I think that's an important thing. I think I'm entirely disagreeing, actually. Of course, it does restrict you a little bit, in fact, you have less choice, you have less things you can choose when you go out to uh, uh, pick a sandwich up at Tesco. However, the number. Th- uh, the amount of vegan options have grown 1,500% in the last year. That's an extraordinary growth. So, yes, it's a bit restrictive in terms of, yes, you have less choice, but it's fast, fast growing.
0: So uh, it's an interesting thing that because of the work that we do in this community as the churches, you know, beside the schools, etc., cetera, uh, uh, many of you will know that we uh, are employed by Guy's and St Thomas's Hospital over the next 5 years we're conducting a national piece of work uh, for them which is uh, looking at obesity which runs at 50% in Lambeth and Southwark amongst uh, children children start getting obese by the age of 7 they start slowing down obesity is a huge issue you're not just obese because you look like it some people don't look obese at all but actually are obese it's a huge issue um, guys in St Thomas's, those of you who are uh, part of the church will know this they've given us three quarters of a million pounds over the next five years to do this uh, work for them because they think we can do it better than them because they know it's so out of control and uh, equally we have more funding from them to look at the problem of young people and diabetes because yeah, I watch this all, all the time now I see the stuff that people consume you know, casually, I see the stuff that doctors consume. Actually, I do quite a lot of. Uh, I'm, I'm not talking about Abby, I'm talking about the fact that I. Uh, as Some of you will know. These uh, last couple of years, I've been doing a lot of work with NHS leaders, and their diets are just dreadful. I keep telling them. I'm. Uh, I sit there in like high meetings. You know, NHS England and uh, you know the bosses and. The stuff they're eating and drinking is just a disaster for their health. They're stacking it up, and it's going to get them 10 years down the line. So what we're saying is um, that there's more than one reason here for being motivated to think about this. Daryl, your motivation is, because, uh, is basically because of animal welfare, like Hezron in the film. Yes, no. No. Um, <laughs> I care about the animals,
2: but as a Christian, I care more about God. And so I think we shouldn't be focusing on animal rights, because animal rights is really kind of secular. We should be thinking about God's rights. And if we see what's in the Bible, and we see what God, what God thinks of animals, he loves them so much. There's so much richness in the Bible. There's, um, he, they're called to worship in the Psalms. He communicates with them directly in Kings. He blesses them, declares them very good. Um, and, uh, and he delights in them. This is an extraordinary thing. He delights in them. And uh, when, when Job is moaning to, uh, to God, he, God speaks out of the whirlwind, and he rebukes Job, and he says, you are, Remember, you are just one part of my magnificent creation project. So I think that should be the, the focus of, uh, of why things matter. But there are, as you said, other factors. And uh, one of the things you actually mentioned we haven't talked about yet, is, is mental health, and that's one of the things that you t- mentioned at the beginning of a service. And that's something that we often forget about. One of the things that we, we didn't see here is the people who work in the slaughterhouses. Now the people who work in the slaughterhouses are often low-paid, they're migrants, low education. And the work is horrific. It is horrific. I read this article from a Guardian journalist, and he's not a Christian, and he doesn't care about animals, but he says, I've become a vegan because I care about humans. He said, I'm a humanist, and as a humanist, I can't possibly take part in what what this does to human beings. Basically, in slaughterhouses, they have a staff annual turnover of up to 300% per year. So the entire workforce changes three times over because human beings can't stomach it. It's so horrific. You're just dealing with violence and death every single second of, of being there. It's so horrific. People leave with post-traumatic stress disorder syndrome. You know, this is the sort of thing, sort of thing that World War One soldiers had, for goodness sake. People leave with depression. People live with nightmares. They have to go and seek counselors. It, it, it's very, very, very severe, and uh, I think we also we need to not just think about animals, also think about what, what, what do we mean by consuming, but being part of a system that involves
0: um, doing this to our fellow brothers and sisters. Hmm. And, Abigail, you're coming at this from a health point of view. You're looking at not just the health of individuals, but the health of the city. Is that right?
3: Yeah, I think that we talk a lot here about being the best versions of ourselves about achieving our potential and as a GP I guess every consultation every person that I meet that's my goal to support that person in becoming the best version of themselves about achieving their potential and we know that diet and lifestyle is Massively linked to disease processes and, and to health, um, and I think that we, we know those things that like we know, you know all i 'm sure you all knew that processed meat was really bad. you all know that red meat 's not good for you, you all know that sugary drinks aren 't good for us, but yet we still make all of these decisions and it, you know, I guess there's a gazillion excuses. There's excuses of time, of, of affordability, of, of just, you know, my child just wants that quickly and it will just make them happy and it will fill them up and it will get them in the buggy. They're all just quick excuses. And I guess if we, if we think about things, you know, we talk about the nine habits of being joyful, of being um, gracious, of can't think of them but all of those things self-control. <laughs> self-control and of being kind isn't it and so we and kindness as in you know you can't you help the person up the stairs but I but kindness to yourself and self-respect enough to know that actually i um, you know I feel a bit hungry so I'll quickly have a bottle of coke that's not kind because it's not kind to your teeth it's not kind to your blood sugar it's not kind to the planet because it's an extra bottle of you know it's an extra plastic bottle it isn't kind and so although you can make endless excuses you can make endless excuses of quick, easy decisions, but if we're talking about being the best versions of ourselves, that means the best physical versions of ourselves, and making conscious decisions about what you buy, about what you put in your plate. It's about being the best mental versions of ourselves, and actually, if we feel rubbish, if we get these illnesses, if we feel fat, if we don't feel fit, then we don't feel good about ourselves, and that impacts us, that impacts on our mental health. So. Although that, it feels innocent, it feels quick, it feels easy, I think you're underselling yourself. You're not being kind to yourself, you're not being kind to your children, you're not being kind to the people that you're feeding. It's, yeah, kind and self-control is one of the two. Great. <laughs> <I'm not trying laughs>
0: so, uh, it was a few years ago, back in 2016, that the Paris Agreement was signed. Um, it was Donald Trump that stepped down from it a year ago. Uh, uh, global temperatures continue to rise, sea levels continue to rise, biodiversity is being eaten into all the time Um, we're really worried, are we not, about the health of our cities, Uh, we've just heard what a a can of Coke or a bottle of Coke does to you and does to the planet on the way through, the point of this morning uh, was just to help us to stop, to think to reflect, Daryl represents one point of view. Abby, in a different place. But each one of us has to make decisions about the way we live and what we eat and how we treat the rest of the planet. It's fine to watch BBC One and see that even the deepest pieces of the ocean now are plagued with plastic bottles everywhere that are killing, you know, the fish. And... uh, for us to say it's terrible, the UN should do something. It's fine for us to say obesity is out of control in our city and somebody in national health somewhere should do something. It's fine for us to say it's terrible the animals, uh, the conditions animals are farmed in and slaughtered in, someone should do something. But in actual fact, change never comes from the top down, it always comes from the bottom up. The consumer is always the king or queen. Let's pause. Let's give a round of applause, first of all, to Abby and (laughs) Daryl. Lots to think about. Do pick up, take uh, take Daryl's leaflet with you. Find out more about Sark's. Uh, Do uh, talk with uh, Daryl. Talk with Abigail. Take this issue Uh, really seriously. In my job, which is a different job, in my job, um, employing so many uh, people, Oasis in this country employs around 7,000 people. Uh, We employ several hundred people in this community, as you know, and uh, this church is a wonderful community of such diversity. In my job, what I normally encounter is the breakdown of health. What I have to do in my job is sit with people when they hear all sorts of bad news. And I know very often, even as I sit there and weep with them, that what's happening is the result of 30 years not thinking about it. Let's pause, let's reflect, and then we move on. Lord, we thank you for the challenge of this morning. We thank you for Daryl and for the way that he's thought this issue through and the stance that he takes. We thank you for all the energy he puts into highlighting these issues around animal welfare. Thank you for the history that we have of somebody like Wilberforce, and as Darrell says, setting up the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals before contributing to the development of the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Children. We thank you for Abigail and the work that she does and the work that so many in this community do in terms of medical care and guys and St. Thomas's and hospitals and GPs around here in the community, nursing and caring. We thank you for the life you've given to us and the diversity of life there is on this planet. Help us to steward our resources well, to steward ourselves well, to steward the planet well. This is our prayer together. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks again to Daryl and Abby.